0: blood you look to your buddies you look to your
2: friends there's only a couple guys in the whole world that make me love pro wrestling and you're one of them you know all the bad shit you've heard about us it's all true but another thing that's true is we love professional wrestling and that's why we're here I'm not sports entertainer anymore. Talk to him, kid. This is a new beginning, and it starts tonight. A new day is dawning for DX. who you talking to? Welcome to X-Pac, one, two, three, sixty, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Waltman, a.k.a. x What up, Sean? What's yeah. going on? Welcome. Next to me, we have Jimbo, not in the booth, up Hi. here at the table. Woo! And on the couch we got Mark Donica.
0: What's up, Mark? Sean, it was an awesome show last week. Excited to be back here. Couch super comfortable. I don't blame you, Jimbo. Yeah. It's it's great to, to great to have the spot. That's nice. Super comfy. It's, it's, How you doing,
2: uh, Sean? I'm doing fantastic. Really. A little bit grumpy today though. Obviously. Yeah? Don't <laughs> act like you don't know.
0: Well, you said obviously. I'm tr- like it's not, it doesn't seem that obvious to me.
2: <laughs> no, I just. I got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. It yeah. happens once in a while. I'm not. I, I. I. mean, there's a couple of things that you know were bothersome, but nothing that like you know nothing major. Mm. So, not 100 percent sure like the little, what's going on with me today. The little <laughs> things
1: might add up, and then yeah. you just eventually that straw breaks the camel's back, I don't, and you're just like, I oh, don't know. oh, I'm so and, frustrated.
2: And I, I'm worried about having a good show today. So i will worried about. I'll worry about what's going on in my uh, subconscious a little bit later. Okay. So, But the the cool thing is is uh, we've been trying to get the exotic Adrian Street on the show for a,
0: while for a little now. while now. There, there was even a week where we announced it. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm so happy that we have him on the show yeah, this week. So yeah.
2: this week, thanks for ruining my announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: didn't announce that we had him this week. I, I said already, we already said his movie. name anyways. Yeah, yeah. And if you can see the title... You know, yeah. I'll be kind of burying the lead already. Yeah, but, yeah. No, but
2: it's gonna be great talking to Adrian. Uh, actually, it was already great talking to Adrian <laughs> since we already recorded it. Yeah, well oh.
0: he's one of those he's one of those names that everybody everybody knows, everybody's familiar with, I hope but so. maybe not necessarily knows the nitty-gritty of what of yeah. why he was so special. So getting a chance to hear everything straight from the horse's mouth yeah. was remarkable. Yeah. And it, he's it was quite really... the Quite
2: the salesman too. Yeah. He is, and he he promoted you know,
0: every single one of his books. <laughs> one of these? All
2: seven of them. Yeah. All seven. Of More them. than once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and uh, do you know what the one one of the coolest parts was? Huh. Uh, and it's a it's a, it's an expression that Chief J. Strongbow used to say when somebody was the shit. He'd go, "If that guy was hung for being a good worker, he'd be hanging an innocent man." <laughs> <laughs> and Adrian had his own way of putting it, but.
0: His, all of his expressions, like yeah. from the, the the his song titles and just all of his little tur- turns of phrase, I really hope that they start coming back a little bit more and more.
2: I I just look um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Adrian Street. I I really encourage you to Google him,
0: yeah, go get familiar or with Sping him,
2: Bing or whatever search engine yeah. you're fond of. Uh, I mean, because what a trailblazer, groundbreaking uh, performer in in the industry, just. Uh, I can't say enough about the guy.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for the fans to get a chance yeah. to listen to that interview.
2: And I had a great weekend. Uh, I, you worked the show this weekend. I did, man. Yeah. And uh, it was in Davenport, Iowa at the Call Ballroom, it's called. Mm-hmm. C-O-L Ballroom. How was that? It was great. It was for a company called SCW, and they use a lot of guys from uh, Seth Rollins' school. And Seth showed up to watch a show.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That's great that not only are you getting to be a student with someone who's... In WWE right now, but that they're on their off time, they're willing to come to a show to see you wrestle and see if you're learning from them.
2: Sure, you know. I'd like to think he came to see me, but uh, <laughs> <did> <laughs> I'm you, pretty sure it had something to do with all the students. Did you being wrestle there in too. a tag match? I was in a tag match and it went really well. Who was your partner? Crotch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is he a
1: new member of the Legion of? Doom? No, he's
2: one of he's one. Of, actually, he helps uh, Seth with the school. Oh. he's a, small, a smaller guy next to me okay. um, in the picture right there and you know he does a lot of uh, uh, things centered around his crotch
0: perfect pair <laughs> I a tag team named Crotch Chop yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, love it. <laughs> I love it it was good stuff, I had a great time uh, the what? crowd was great The all the, uh, all the guys on the show the local talent were, were really solid the venue looked really interesting, too. It was too. a neat venue. Yeah. Uh, back in the days, Johnny Cash, uh, Elvis Presley, you know, guys like that used to play there. Wow.
1: That's got to be super That's, cool. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like the history of walking yeah. in buildings like
2: and that. And on my way in, oh, God, what a—I flew it on a red-eye, right? hmm And so you get up—you know, a red-eye, for those of you who don't know, is a flight that leaves the West Coast late at night and arrives on Early the East the Coast— early in the morning, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, okay, for me personally, I get up from it, and I'm really groggy, and I almost left, like, you know, a jacket on the plane and different things like that. uh, I ended up losing my fanny pack with everything in it. (gasps) Wallet, phone, money, credit cards, ID, everything. (laughs) Yes.
1: On the airplane?
2: I, no, in... In Chicago O'Hare Airport. Oh, just in O'Hare. That's even worse. Yes. And I went from Terminal A to Terminal C, or Terminal B to Terminal C, back to Terminal B, and I I was pretty frantic at one point. And then I just realized being frantic uh, and panicking isn't going to do a damn bit of good. I calmed down, took a few, uh, you know, breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, and... uh, Lo and behold, I got my fanny pack back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I, I can't
0: imagine starting a trip like that. But. Yeah,
2: man, it was a buzz killer. And uh, so, on the way on the way to Davenport, my connecting flight, uh, UFC, the legendary UFC, I think middleweight champ or welterweight champ, Pat Miletich was on the flight. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, but I was so sh- <laughs> just like in an awkward funk from the whole fanny pack. Uh, Situation. They didn't even say anything to him. Like I've uh, interacted with them on Twitter since then. Yeah. Saying hey, sorry, I was shy or whatever. <laughs> I forget how I put it, but uh, you know. That's I, so amazing. It was kind of cool to see Pat Militant Even though like, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are going, oh, who? But like those people aren't. Oh right, man, that Google search. Either. When I used to play a
1: UFC video game, I'd always pick him because he had his own fighting style. And I was like, it's anyone right. who has their own fighting style <laughs> has to
0: be a badass. Is this like a bonus character or a secret? No, this is a real person.
2: Yeah, no, so he's a great commentator real. as well Yeah, for Legacy Fights. Fantastic commentator. And he's a Freemason. Oh,
1: even Proud
0: more. Proud Freemason. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Just yeah. insane. It's going from the learned. lowest low to the highest high. Yeah. that's, re- that's Everything really was cool. still in your fanny pack then, right?
2: Everything was still in the fanny pack. Even better. Everything, Jimbo. Nice.
0: That's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> everything. That's
2: insane. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jimbo. Yes. What's going on, man? With me, yeah.
1: with life, you know. Well, we got get high, watch wrestling this weekend.
0: It'll yeah, be fun. That's Saturday. We'll Talking about it's that. Almost Sold out. That's with amazing. With Ron Funches. It's going to be an amazing time.
2: Well, well,
1: yeah. It'll be fun. How can it not be? Come Yeah. But well, we got some wrestling news. Yeah. let want not, to talk about wrestling, wrestling news. news? That's what I was getting <laughs>
2: at.
0: X One Two Three Sixty Wrestling News.
2: All right.
1: Last week, we talked about the Superstar shakeup. We didn't know what it was going to be like, if it was going to be a draft. It kind of was. It kind of wasn't. So, from SmackDown to Raw, they got The Miz Maurice, They got the Intercontinental Champion, Dean Ambrose, Bray uh, Wyatt, Alexa Bliss, Mickey James, Apollo Crews, Kalisto, Heath Slater and Rhino, and Kurt Hawkins okay. from SmackDown to Raw. Uh, Hawkins got knocked out by Big Show in his, like, hey, I'm here on Raw, and Big Show punched him and knocked him out, so... Makes you sad. I don't see anything promising happening for Kurt Hawkins right now, which sucks. Which I hope changes.
2: Yeah, because um, he's such a solid, you know, yeah. he's such a solid talent, dude. He's
0: so good. And man. Yeah. the week before, they had him lose to Ty Dillinger on, in his SmackDown debut. So, yeah. the 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 one thing that was interesting about the shakeup was uh, sometimes, like on Twitter, it'd be, oh hey, this person's going to Raw, and they wouldn't even be like on the show. Like they showed Apollo Cruz showing up to Raw, but he wasn't on the show at all. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes people just show up. Like yeah. Bray Wyatt showed up at the end of Finn Balor and Jinder Mahal's match. Which okay. was, it, was, it was a very
1: interesting way to do it, but it kept the surprise going. And like Miz and Maurice came out as Cena and Nikki. And then Dean Ambrose came out. And I was like, oh, man, I hate Miz and Maurice. So glad it's Cena and you. Or Cena and Nikki. And then Miz took off the hat. He's like, I'm really the Miz. And he he so explained was... the bit.
0: And Dean was just like, oh. oh in that case. <laughs> and then he beat him up. <laughs>
1: the okay. So that was cool. And from SmackDown to Raw, we got U.S. champion Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Charlotte, New Day, Rusev and Lana, Primo and Epico, Jinder Mahal, Tamina and Sankara. Okay. Out of all these people, definitely Kevin Owens is
0: probably the best get, I would say. And he went right into storyline. I don't know, dude. Charlotte and, and the returning Tamina. You know, the SmackDown's women's division has been fire. So, the fact that two of their best and brightest went over to Raw, and who could fill that void? Possibly one of the greatest female wrestlers of all time, despite having such a short career. And Tamina, who has so much more gas left in the tank. Yeah. I, I,
1: she's never really been able to shine on TV like she should. She's, she's always been just in put, put, put with something. Yeah. She's yeah. always just.
2: So, who didn't get uh, shaken up and moved, moved around?
1: AJ Styles uh, got to stay, which is cool. Everyone's yeah. stoked for him staying on SmackDown. Same with Baron Corbin. And um, Chris Jericho, uh, people people also thought and if Nakamura. if
0: AJ Styles didn't switch, that maybe Luke Anderson or Gallows and Anderson would switch, so that yes, they could yeah. have the whole the faction, club. the whole club on on the same show again. But I I still like this, the, and the, having the New Day, which was is staple of Monday Night Raw, they they would have a segment whether they had a match or not every single week. Move over to SmackDown. I think that's going to do wonders for their tag team division as well.
2: It's it's. It's kind of cool that we're even talking like this right now, and like you guys are, mm-hmm. and, and you're excited about something that, uh, you know, this the brand split thing just, it, it didn't work for me yeah. before, you know, and apparently it's working now.
0: Yeah, like... It is,
2: they're it, doing it, they're doing it right, or they're doing it a lot better.
0: Yeah. I think because this time SmackDown had more of an opportunity to really shine. And it's...
2: Somewhat of an even playing field, right? Being live now?
0: Yeah, being live and and being on Tuesday and being right after Raw, so it's not like the... Maybe even
2: an advantage being only two hours.
0: I would say so. Yeah. Like, NXT they benefit from being an hour because it's just boom 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 go go yeah. go. Same thing with with SmackDown. I was I watched last night for for the shakeup and I was surprised that wow, we're only an hour and 15 minutes in. We don't know everybody's in the shakeup yet, but it's been a great show they yeah. had. In-ring segments, wrestling, backstage segments, everything, but super tight and super focused. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's funny like just certain things don't seem like they're like that great to me because I don't know like to me like the whole superstar shake up thing right. just is it's just an idea sure it's not anything like I don't know I sometimes I have a hard time of expressing. you don't, what see, the writing
1: on, you don't see the writing on the wall of like well what's the point of doing this right it yeah. just
2: seems like it can it, those things can just seem like some silly scheme thought up right mm-hmm. yep. and I mean I, I guess you could say that about any of these things that <laughs> we think up for, for storyline and angle purposes but uh uh you know, when you take a silly idea and you, or I, I'm saying silly, well, it's, but silly when it's just you it. take an idea and you put the right people, uh, you add the right people to it uh, and they execute it properly, like some really cool things can happen.
0: Like, especially they announced matches for Payback, which is supposed to be a uh-huh. Raw-only pay-per-view, and then the Superstar Shake-Up happens. so now we're going to have cross-promotional matches with Kevin Owens being on SmackDown now. He had a match with... Chris Jericho at Payback for the United States Championship and now whoever wins that match is going to stay on SmackDown with the, and, title. With the United States Championship and they had a the number one contendership match for after Payback and now Bray Wyatt, a Raw superstar is going up for the WWE Championship against Randy Orton in a House of Horrors match which we still don't know the rules to which uh, that will be interesting and surprising but th- I like now that there's that additional intrigue of it was a raw only pay-per-view, but right. now we've got the, the mixing waters so as it were.
1: Anything can happen in world wrestling entertainment. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the shakeup. Uh Byron Saxon also got switched for David O'Tunga as far as announcers go.
0: Yeah. Really? Yeah. And they told him after Raw. After Raw, they're like, Hey what'd you think about the shake Because 'Cause you're going to SmackDown.
1: Oh. oh. his face,
0: yeah. His He's face like, was like, Oh Cool, all right. And they
2: moved and so they moved Otonga to To Raw, to To Raw,
0: and he's going to start this next week. He didn't start the. He didn't. He wasn't on Raw this week, but he's going to start next week.
2: Okay, I see.
0: Yeah, him and Cole and and uh, Corey Graves. I think he could learn a lot from that team. He really could, and I I think he can. He can get even better than he is. Hope so. I hope so too. Someone
1: else who is a little bit shaken up after Raw. Finn Balor, poor guy. Finn Balor just returned from his injury from SummerSlam and was in a match with Jinder Mahal. He took a stiff forearm, which looks like he got knocked out. If we can... We're going to play the little clip for you. It It was bad. But he finished the match. He won. WWE hasn't officially stated that he was concussed and he'll be out for a while. But PW Insider says yes. So...
0: I hope the best for him, man. It's Accidents just sad. happen, yeah. And it's not like like it wasn't the point of the elbow. Yeah, I mean you were talking like about this earlier. Closed fist. It was forearm. And oh, that's brutal, though. Yeah, it's it's bad. That's a, that's those are
2: like I, you look. A punch to the face is almost better to take than that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Those, that's your one of the hardest parts of your body, right there. Yeah. that You can hit someone
1: with with all your force yeah. and effort and everything, mm-hmm. so.
2: Oh man! Well, we'll. I mean, I guess we just have to play this one by ear. Yeah. You know, I haven't really heard anything from anyone as far as when things like this happen in the locker
1: room. What's the like mentality and vibe towards someone like Jinder? Is everyone like,
2: hey man? If there's not a if, look, if there's not a history of somebody, you know, being reckless. Yes, it's just one of those things that happens, and it's and it's really unfortunate and yeah. and that, but. Um, Unless it's a situation where somebody's getting sent to the hospital every week by the same person, or knocked out, then you know it's just one of those things that it's going to happen. It happens. Yep. Then. It's wrestling, yeah. man. It's not ballet, as some would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Obviously, so sorry to hear that. Definitely. Yeah, it's sad. <sighs> Get
1: well soon, Finn. We're all hoping and praying for you. Uh, PW Insider also reported about someone maybe headed to WWE. Ring of Honor's top prospect Leo Rush has just finished all his Ring of Honor dates, and it's rumored that he is going to WWE. He was seen backstage at the RAW after WrestleMania 33, and they think he's highly one of the people ready to just go right into NXT.
2: Yeah, Leo's good. I was in a uh, tag match with him for in Maryland, like the Baltimore area, Maryland area. Championship yeah, Wrestling, Maryland Championship Wrestling, who run excellent shows on the East Coast. Uh, really big show. Anyways, I was on a, I was in a tag match with Leo. He, it was the night before he had like a tryout with Evolve, I think. Oh wow. wow! And he dove out to the floor, and the dude just totally missed him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he ended up landing flat on his back, but still, I mean,
0: yeah, the, it's a long way down. And it. there's only so many times you can do that flat on your dude, back. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I mean, he could barely walk afterwards, and he had a, you know, tryout. a tryout quote unquote tryout the next day <laughs>
1: do you pull him aside in the locker room and tell him like hey man you gotta try out tomorrow you don't need to be doing dives like that
2: no well you no know, cause I understand why he was doing it and you get more hot at you had three people on the ground supposed supposed you know supposing supposed to, catch, to catch him, him yeah. and none of them did none of them
1: was it like he falls
2: through them or they oh, just oh it was just like everyone you like, know oh everyone I, thought had you no, everyone I thought you were catching him no I thought you were catching him sure everyone had an excuse that night and the poor kid can walk. So, like, the main thing I did was call uh, Shoot Gabe Sapolsky attacks and just say, hey, you know, like, keep in mind this guy just wiped out. He'll be really a little sad. Last night. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice of you to do that. Because well, that. You don't want to see some, you know, because, you know, uh, a young guy coming up isn't going to tell anyone they're exactly. hurt. Exactly. Yeah. Man, Especially
1: so you... at a tryout yeah. with Gabe Sapolsky. Like, hey, man, you run the Evolve. I really want to work for this company. By the way, I did a dive last night. I'm hurt. I'm going to go. Show you what I got though. Yeah. So. Oh. All
2: and right. I like, I like the kid. He's he used to a be a attitude.
1: former tag champ, I believe, in Maryland Championship Wrestling with Patrick Clark, who's in NXT right yeah. now. Yeah. So maybe something with him, but
0: who I knows? Mean, pa- Patrick Clark, not, he's not, to, it on not own, to go right? too far, Patrick Clark is amazing he's right great. now. Yeah. Paisley Patrick Clark, as I call him, just because he's, he's doing like this Prince thing. Uh, any Anybody that could be attached to him could just make it even that much more fun, especially if they have a history. Yeah, yeah.
1: Someone else moving onward and upward to possibly new horizons. One, two, Glenn Jacobs, aka Kane, your former tag team partner and yeah. tag champ, is running for mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. That's right. It's official.
2: Yeah, I was. I was with Glenn and I did a, a access signing together on the Sunday before WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, it was fun. Oh, you, you, oh
0: yeah, we oh, I thought that was time. you by yourself. Oh, no. that's, that's even better.
2: Yeah, no, it was Glenn and I, and we were talking about this, and it's it's funny because he's running for mayor of a county, and usually it's mayor of a city, right? Yeah. But in, you know, certain areas like there, are it, it works that way, and um, you know, Glenn's a, a libertarian uh, thinker, a lot like he's myself. A Maybe a little big bit, thinker. Yeah, yeah, big time.
0: If there's anybody that you would say, "Hey, they're going into politics, and it makes perfect sense," it would it would be Glenn. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yes. I'd, I, he, he would have my vote. I don't agree with him on everything, but like, we'll, we'll, I don't really think we should be agreeing with people on every single last thing, anyways. I mean, we have to have we have to think for ourselves too. Sure. So, anyways, uh, I'm I, I have a feeling that Glenn's going to
0: win that. And if he He's, doesn't, I'm pretty sure he'll choke his opponent straight to hell. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which isn't going to happen because he's going to win.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's then, really
2: extremely popular in that area. And yeah. then
1: him and Booker T will have a match. Yeah. For best mayor. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, a lot of,
2: like, it's it's not just, like, a coincidence or some kind of a, like, I don't know, trend. like Wrestlers, wrestlers going wrestlers, into politics? I mean, it's, it's not just, what I'm trying to say is wrestlers are smart. Sure. These guys are highly intelligent people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that a Jesse Ventura or, you know, was a governor or, um, you know, Booker T. I, I, I'm going to say he's going to end up being the mayor of Houston one day. Sure. Just like uh, Kane Knox, I think it Knox just, County, Tennessee. I dude. think it
0: just speaks to the, the appeal of speaking up for people's beliefs and for feeling like your ideals matter in the realm of politics regardless of who you are but being a prof- I agree with you being a professional wrestler shouldn't preclude you from doing anything that that you want it's living another dream you know that's right yeah
2: I'm all about living uh, like having more than one dream Mark yeah and Gotta do it man
1: Kane said he's he's thought about doing this for a long time and he's really looking forward to getting out on the campaign trail and meeting people so cool. that should be awesome
2: um, on a
1: sadder somber note um, this past Monday, uh, pretty boy, Larry Sharp passed away at the age of 66, uh, from suffering of liver cancer over oh, the years. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. So he, huh. he was a journeyman. He wrestled all over. He started the monster factory. He's had so many students come out of there that just to name a few, uh, the big show Tatanka, King Kong Bundy. Uh, Seamus, the Headbanger, Sanjay, Dutt, Tony, Alice, uh, Rocco Rock from uh, Public Enemy, Bam Bam Bigelow was his first big pupil, but he's definitely made his mark and will definitely leave an imprint on the wrestling business for sure.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, sad to hear that. I knew Larry, I knew him. I, I worked for him in the past um, when Dennis Carluzzo was alive, and they were partners. Um, you know, you hear different stories about. Uh, people, you know, some people are going to have a good story. Some people are, aren't. And uh, I, for the most part, man, I always got along good with Larry Sharp. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. Uh, you know, feel bad for his family and everything. So. Yeah, our Definitely condolences be best. to his family yeah. and
1: you're You'll always be remembered because all of the people you've had an imprint on are still rocking it in the wrestling business, like Matt Riddle and. So on and so forth. So yeah. you'll be missed, and you will not be forgotten. wait on. And I think that's it for X One Two Three Sixty Wrestling News. Okay.
0: All right. Before uh, before we go though, I, I'm I'm modeling this beautiful shirt. Oh yes, that where beautiful can, shirt uh, that you can get on Sean's
1: Pro Wrestling Tees site. Uh, X Pac One Two Three Sixty shirt. It's beautiful. it's beautiful.
0: it Comes in various varieties. The, I like the the six one where it's got the the, the ball all the all eight the ball on the back. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, oh, over.
2: that's on the back.
0: Yeah. Uh, we okay. got we got two. We got one that's just the NW logo on the front, and then one with the logo on the front, six ball on the back.
2: I thought there was one that had the six ball on the front with the logo, too. No There is that one as well. Okay. Yeah.
0: Anything you want. <laughs> yeah. We got all sorts of varieties and uh, working on some new stuff that's going to be fun, too. For Sean okay. Waltman, anything. Yep. Yeah. Ha! <laughs> ha. All right.
1: <laughs> if you guys well, have that shit. If you guys have any news you want to send us, hit us up at xpoc one two three sixty show at gmail dot um, uh,
2: sorry,
1: that, that popped
0: me really good.
2: What, what popped you really good? Just you in know, general, just like how about that? Hey Mark, how come <laughs> you are, how come you ended up on the couch? I was it the flip flops? Yeah, it's the
0: fl- it's the flip flops. Yeah,
2: John F- just called you out on it the it. Called me out on it. I didn't have a problem with the flip flops because they were <laughs> hidden behind the table. Yeah.
0: I mean, and this is and this you is a, a nice
2: blue blazer on. Mark. This is a waste I, up business,
0: man. I, yeah. I I appreciated <laughs> the effort, and then you got. Exposed. I do it I cast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> eh, yeah, all about comfort, you know. I I, I know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hey, we're gonna take a break right now. and We'll uh, be right back with the Adrian Street interview.
3: What's up, party people? Roxy Stryer here from The Tomorrow Show with Kevin Undergaro. We're your twice-weekly broadcast of one man's midlife crisis and the mad millennials in Star Trek uniforms that follow him. And I'm one of those millennials, Lauren Magrasso, here.
2: We've had some amazing guests like Russell Simmons, Ileana Douglas, and Craig Gass. Coolio,
1: right? Christian Blatt in the house to tell you to go to thetomorrowshow.com to check us out. We're live every Monday and Thursday from 10 to midnight Eastern. That's thetomorrowshow.com. Be there, be square, whatever that means. Guys, welcome back to X Pac One Two Three Sixty. Our guest right now has had a career over fifty six years that has spanned over seven decades with over fifteen thousand matches. He's won titles all over the world. Exotic Adrian Street.
2: Yeah. Hey Adrian.
3: Hey, how are you how are you doing? It's nice to be
2: out. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm I'm so grateful that uh that you uh gave us some of your time today cuz uh, I don't know if you remember we were in uh Dallas together briefly uh for Global Wrestling Federation you and I do you remember that in 91 Yeah, I remember that. Uh, Joe was
3: special yes. uh, I believe.
2: Yeah, and and we we didn't we weren't around each other much just briefly I think actually only for one weekend <laughs> but it was it was uh it was definitely a, a pleasure being around you cuz um I'm a huge fan, uh, going, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of British wrestling, Adrian. And, uh, and, uh, my, my training, I, I wasn't trained by Carl Gotch, but I was trained by his, by his son-in-law, Masami. So, uh, um, there's a little bit of, you, you went to the snake, to the snake pit,
3: didn't you, Adrian? No, I didn't. Oh. But, um, uh, the Snake Pit is in a grimy little sort of um, Lancashire coal mining town. Um, and the only thing it has got going for it really is uh, the Snake Pit. There's a, a wrestler called Billy Riley, and he created the most lethal form of um, of uh, wrestling or martial arts that you could ever wish to uh to uh, witness, and um, there was a lot of those guys that actually came into professional wrestling from that little uh, town. And the thing is, when I first started wrestling for the big-time promoters, I was wrestling 40 times a month, and you could bet your life that at least half of those would be from Wigan. And I'll tell you something: if you couldn't take it, they wouldn't give it to you. Um, uh, you had to fight for everything you could possibly get. So you had to learn to be as good as as uh, as good as them, at least. Otherwise, you'd get swallowed by them. Nice.
1: I mean, for a career that you've had, so many, like, the 15,000 matches, all the books, all the titles, everywhere you wrestled, how have you never had an action figure I know that's really random but that's all I've been thinking because I usually when we do these shows I bring the action figure of our guests and that's I put right. it on the desk but I don't have an action figure of you so I brought your rock and wrestling DVD that I used to have on VHS that I now on D- have on DVD that has I'm in love with me on it which was the first introduction I had to you and your character so I just I don't I don't understand how you've never had an action figure over like all these years
3: I'm so happy that I've never had an action like a like a. I mean, I've seen a number of uh, like um, action figures of me that people have created, like from a generic um, uh, model. But I'm so glad that I haven't had any done as yet, because I've always um, in the business for 57 years and all the rest of it. Um, the fact that my movie is uh, coming up, yes. after, after the movie will be um, a time when lots of uh, souvenirs and uh, my books and all those kind of things are um, are really going to get uh, popular. Nice. So the fact that there hasn't been an action figure of me yet, I've still got all that to look forward to, even though I'm 76 years of age now.
2: God, that's incredible that you're 76, D- Adrian. Um, you you were groundbreaking. You did so many things first. Like okay, for instance, the re- the wrestling album you did. I mean, there, some of those songs, I still know the words to by heart. Like "Sweet Transvestite" with the broken nose. You know, all of those. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Um, w- at what age did you know that you had this kind of a, a gift? I mean, you're a great wrestler, Adrian without a doubt, but all the other talents that you have are, are to me, they're, they're right up there with the wrestling.
3: Well, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm an artist. I like to paint and, um, and whatever. I'm a sculpture. Um, I'm pretty good at writing the lyrics and things. For
2: amazing. Songs. Amazing.
3: Uh, the, 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 the tunes and everything like that. Um, I was helped with by, um, by uh, Don Woods um, from Britain we've we've, uh, we've done those things together he's helped rephrase uh, some of the uh, lyrics that I've done to sort of make them fit into uh, the things like a lot better but I did them originally because I wanted my own fanfare everybody used to go in the ring in uh, Britain to um, the March of the Gladiators and uh, I just wanted to I've, I've always wanted to be different. The thing is um obviously wrestling with people uh, from uh, Wigan from the snake pit um, so often plus there was um wrestling was really booming at that particular time and there were wrestlers coming from all over the world we had sambo wrestlers from uh from uh Russia Greco-Roman wrestlers from Hungary and um and uh Belgium and uh mud wrestlers and things like that from turkey and uh i mean they had like a myriad of uh of uh, talents from all over the world and they and they all came to britain um it was like i say it was absolutely booming. The promoters there were running four thousand five hundred shows a year. And they needed people from everywhere. Well, naturally, if they invested in uh, various wrestlers from all over the world and uh, what have you, it was kind of expensive to bring them in. They wanted to make them into stars, um, and they would be wrestling against us. And the thing is, to put themselves over, they needed to look like uh, winners to sort of uh, justify the, the expense that it had taken to actually bring them there. So, I mean, we had a real fight on our hands every time because um, those guys wanted to show the promoters who, who, who'd invested so much money in them that, uh, that uh, they invested wisely. But the thing is, not in my backyard, mate. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> Right on. <laughs> you know, they're going to... You know, I mean, for them to really shine, they're going to have to beat me. But like I say, not in my backyard. You know, you've got to fight on your hands. And I had to fight on my hands every every uh, damn night. So even though I didn't really appreciate it at the time, in retrospect, um, I really appreciate the fact that I was wrestling with people like um, – like uh, you know, like the uh, like the Wiganers. you you mentioned earlier, Carl Gotch. Yes, sir. Well, originally, I mean, his name was Carol Estes. I remember sure. him coming. I remember him coming over to uh, to uh, Britain. Now, Carol istas was fifteen times champion, Carl Gotch, fifteen times, greco Roman champion, fifteen times. Um. Catch catch can champion of Belgium. He represented uh, Belgium um, in the, I think it was in 1952 Olympic Games, something like that. But anyway, not only that, he was a dog, what they call a dogland champion. And that's where they, they'd go down on the docks and anything went thumb in the eye, kick in the groin snatching a hair, anything you could possibly do without using a weapon they would do to each other. And he was a Dockland champion, so you can imagine how formidable a guy he was. Oh, yeah. But he came over to Britain, and the first thing he wanted to know was, where is the snake pit? Where's Billy Riley's gym? Because he was going to go there and show them what wrestling was all about. <laughs> he went to the gym, and there wasn't anybody. There wasn't, they didn't have a member that couldn't beat him. Well, you wonder what everybody that was there, especially when they, especially when they, you know, the the rumor that he was going to go there and show them what wrestling was all about, preceded him. And they kicked the living crap out of him. And he admitted himself. He said that he threw everything he thought he knew about wrestling out the window and he trained under uh, Billy Riley, personally under Billy Riley for eight years. After he did that, he left and, and uh, went to Canada and um, and into the states. And from there, and like when he went over there, he changed his name from Carolistas to Carl Koch. And. The rest is history. You
2: know what a formidable guy he was. Oh yeah, Vern Gagne called him Carl Krauser for some reason for a while, but that's neither here nor there. We're 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 mainly uh, interested in you, Adrian, because you're you're just an amazing, amazing person. Uh, I
3: I plead guilty to
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> you are guilty to that, man. Uh, Adrian, how long have you been making your own gear?
3: Since I was three. What? What? Since I was three years of age. What kind of gear are you making at three? (laughs) I've been making exotic costumes from the time I was three. When I was three years old, um, the war was on in Britain, and we all had our little ration books and all the rest of it. And the fact that I had my own little ration book, I felt kind of important and everything like that. And I've never really had a sweet tooth. But I'd go to the candy store and everything like that with a few with a, with a few copper coins and um, my little ration book. And I used to buy some candy called Raspberry Ruffles. And the reason I bought those is that they had the best um, metal foil. These have it in all different colors and patterns and things like that. And that's the reason I got them. I'd take all the, all the uh, metal foil off of the chocolates really carefully because that is what i really wanted and i trade the actual chocolates with the other kids um if they give me their the the uh the foil off of their candy and i used to make little um mannequins out of plasticine yeah out of clay, out of clay. and i got that I'd, I'd get a razor blade and i'd cut the uh, thing the uh the foil this way and that way and through trial and error, I got, like, a pattern where I could actually dress my little mannequins up in um, this metallic foil and turn my little mannequins into knights in shining armor. Wow. So <laughs> that's, that is how long I've been making uh, costumes. You're so creative
1: and ahead of your time, man. You're like a true renaissance man with everything you do. It's amazing. It's but.
3: Yeah. I amaze myself sometimes.
1: (laughs) What what was it like
3: growing up during the war? (laughs) When my father was a prisoner of war with the Japanese at the time. In actual fact, this is the first book I wrote. Oh, my pink gas gas mask. mask. And that is me, um, just a couple of years ago, wearing the same mask that I was issued when I was a three-year-old child in uh, Britain. I was given that so that when Hitler and when Hitler's mob dropped the gas bombs on us, I'd be able to breathe. And um, this book's got all about that in the uh, thing. You can see there um, that's that's, uh, me with my teddy boy gang. That's me there with my teddy boy gang. And we were into rock and roll music at that time. And that book spans um, the time um, from a time of, well, from just before I was born till um, till I actually left um, Wales uh, for London to become a professional wrestler. But my dad, for whatever reason, he was a prisoner of war with the Japanese when he came home. Uh, For whatever reason, he didn't like me very much, and I grew to dislike him very much. I had a very bad relationship with my father. Why I don't know. He just didn't like me, and um, I got to dislike him, but he had me out of school working in a coal mine when I was 15. Well the thing is, it's dark down there, I need a spotlight, you know? (laughs) So uh, anyway, like I say, I sort of suffered it for um, just over a year, then I ran away from home. To, uh, to London, um, I went straight to the promoter's office and told him I wanted to be a professional wrestler. Um, you know, that was a big time promoters. They told me to go away, come back when I was bigger, older, and I'm um, an experienced amateur wrestler.
2: Right.
3: But uh, anyway, in the meantime, um, I started boxing on a fairground booth. I was to box anywhere from four to seven times in one day and get $2 a fight. Wow. And, Were you taking
2: on all-comers? How did that work, Adrian? Were you taking on people from the crowd?
3: Um, first of all, I was boxing against the boxers that they had on there. That's, that's how they kind of discovered me. But then they gave me a job and I was fighting with people from the uh, crowd. But the thing is, I can't box. I can
1: try. <laughs> so were these boxing matches just strictly boxing matches? It wasn't like the, the dock yeah, fights? The
3: problem, boxing, the problem with boxing matches are they had rules. And I've always said it doesn't matter how you win as long as you cheat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hey,
2: so Adrian, your, your dad was a POW and a, and a coal miner?
3: Yeah. Um, no wonder he was, was so cool. miserable. He was he was a coal miner and like when a war broke out and everything like that, they didn't call they didn't um, they didn't conscript coal miners because um, the coal industry was too important to the country. You know, what I mean, it was like they needed that for the war effort. Right. But my father had too much to say for himself and everything like that and. they fired him, or they they give him a job on top of the pit, and on top of the pit wasn't, uh, you you know, that didn't sort of save you from getting called up, and they did it on purpose because um, my father was like too much for like the uh, the miners' rights and all that kind of stuff, and they made an example of him by putting him on top of the pit, and then in no time at all he got called up uh, for the um, he got called up for the army, and um, that was just before. it Well, in actual fact, Pearl Harbor was two days after my first birthday, but my father by that time was already um, on his way to um, to uh, fight in North Africa, you know, against the Germans. But um, they had to pick up some more stuff, uh, some more supplies and things like that in the Maldive Islands, which is like around the Cape from uh, right. uh, from South Africa. They went to the Maldive Islands, and on the way out from there, they collided with another ship, and had to go back into uh, the dock to uh, for repairs. And by the time they had their repairs uh, done, um, they learned about... Um, about uh, Pearl Harbor being bombed and, um, they got rerouted to uh, Singapore. They needed to go to Singapore to, uh, you know, defend, um, uh, that against the Japanese. In actual fact, all the details are in this book.
2: My pink gas mask.
3: (laughs) Was that your first book? In my first book. Yeah. My pink gas mask. And, um, and uh so Adrian I- he, he was he was there fighting against the uh, Japanese in Malaya and in Singapore, but then um the Japanese came down and drove them back into Singapore, drove them off of Singapore. My father was one of the lucky ones to start off with. They managed to escape from there to Sumatra and there was like various things happening in Sumatra. Um uh, in the in, in the meantime, the uh, the Japanese captured airfields and things like that in Sumatra, and um, began to sort of over, over overrun um, that. And one of my father's jobs, like with his uh, regiment, was to sort of blow up the oil refineries in um, Singapore because that is what the Japanese were after. They needed oil and they needed rubber those of which you could get in um, in uh, Sumatra. But anyway, they blew up the, uh, the oil refinery, and then they were chased by the uh, Japanese all the way down the uh, Japanese island to uh, to the end. I mean, that is an epic story in itself. Yes. And it's all in that uh, first book. But anyway, when they finally get, got down there, they managed to escape over to Java, and whenever they... Re- Uh, Arrived in Jakarta, Um, they found that the Dutch had already surrendered to the Japanese. So they actually escaped to uh, to Java, but uh, were made prisoners almost as soon as they got there. My father was a prisoner of war with them then for another three and a half years. Um, He was a prisoner.
2: and then he came. And then when he got when he uh, when he came back from the war, he, he uh, re- resumed being a coal miner, huh? Yes, went straight back into
3: coal mine. And, he actually he actually worked in the coal mines for a total of fifty one years. That's insane!
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. There's this very iconic picture of you and him in front of the coal mine, and you're in your full Adrian Street. Yeah, there it is.
2: <laughs> did you, Adrian? You mind me asking? Did you and your father ever like reconcile, make peace at all before he passed?
3: no no he he was he was um the last time I ever saw him he was he was in his early 70s the last time I ever saw him he came over invited himself over um while I was actually living here in Gulf Breeze but I was living in a different property uh, down near the beach like one of the first houses that I bought, he came to stay with me there. But even even there, um, even there, we just never, absolutely never saw eye to eye or anything like that. And it's funny when he, when I spoke to him on the phone and he told me he wanted to come out and visit me, I panicked and I ran out straight away and bought him a ticket. <laughs> I bought him a ticket to come out. Now you think to yourself, what a nice guy Adrian is, like buying his dad a return ticket from um, from uh, Britain over to spend time with with him and Linda in uh, Gulf Breeze. Well, it was measured in my madness and my generosity as it happened, because I made sure that the ticket was only valid for 30 days. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that was, 29, that was 29 and a half days too much.
2: I was wondering, <laughs> that was gonna be my next question.
3: <laughs> wow. the, first, the first thing he said to me when I met him at the airport was, oh, he said, that ticket you sent me, he said it's only valid for 30 days. He said, I saw it come out for about six months at least. I, I would have killed him before that. <laughs> You're like, that's what you thought. So, basically,
2: uh, when you sh- when you went back to the coal mine to, to take that picture, was that basically a big, big F you to everyone?
3: Exactly, exactly. You hit the nail on the head with that to all of them. Because when I was working in the coal mine, from the time I went there in the first place, all I was saying is, I'm gonna be a professional wrestler. I'm not spending my life down here, down in the coal mining, the dust and the gas and, and all the rest of it. And all the coal miners, my father, like, once again, always had too much to say for himself. Right. He was like the ringleader very often. You can't be a professional wrestler. You're too small. They'd rip you off Have you seen the size of them. You can't be a wrestler. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. Well, just before that photograph was taken, I'd won the, um, I won the I won the the middleweight European title, so I mean that entitled me to say that I was a champion and the best middleweight champion in Europe. All the newspapers got onto it. They wanted photographs of me wearing the, uh, the belt, and they were doing a story over they were doing my life story at the time over um, uh, over a period of Sunday newspapers. So I said to him, yeah, you can take a photograph of me wearing a belt, but there's only one place you can do it. So I knew what time my father came up the coal mine. We all went down to Wales and everything like that. It was like a few uh, cagefuls of uh, miners came up before, but as soon as I spotted my father, I dragged him out. I said, right, you have your photograph taken. So I said, you stand there, and the other ones... I said, you have your photographs taken as well. So anyway, they did that, and... It just showed them that not only did I make a wrestler, like they all said I couldn't, but it was one of those. Yeah. And for the people
2: listening at home, that's the middle finger.
3: Not only was I a wrestler, not only was I a wrestler, but I was the champion of Europe. I developed it to prove it.
2: I'm curious to know what what any of them said to you when when you showed up there. They they didn't know you were coming, right? (laughs)
3: No, they didn't, and they didn't say anything. Well, for one thing, they knew I could be nasty, Right. <laughs> <laughs> verbally and physically. So they they just looked with their mouths open. Some of the ones that came up the pit before my father's, uh, before the cage of my father, and they just kind of stood around with their mouths hanging open. I mean, you can see the way I was dressed. Right. Uh, I'd hardly pass for a coal miner there. Oh, it's so. <laughs> it's that's such great So great, great. So great. <laughs> Adrian. I I
2: don't want to like. I I don't want to keep you so long, uh, too long. But there's a couple of things I want to ask you um, uh, about, like your early career when you were called Lord Tarzan Jonathan. Kid, kid, kid,
3: Tarzan. kid Tarzan. <laughs> Tarzan
2: Jonathan. Sorry, um, I, I've been hitting the head that, a lot. That was after. That
3: was after. My, that was after. I, I named myself after my idol, Don Leo Johnson. Right. amazing. In, in actual fact, this book here, I only laugh when it hurts. That is um, a photograph of me. I was posed for a lot of um, physique magazines, um, along with uh, Sean Connery, actually. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, Sean, Con- Sean Connery posed for the same, for uh, the same um, uh, photographers that I did.
2: Interesting that that Don Leo Jonathan is one of your idols, like because uh, I mean he's like six. He was six foot nine, six. I mean, huge guy, and and you're kind of not not so big.
3: Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some of your other idols were like Lou and guys like that too. Any 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 British guys idols of yours?
3: No, no, not really. Huh. They were they they they, they were, um. Most of them in that time were like a lot of piss takers, um, similar to the um, similar to the uh, coal miners. I uh-huh. mean, the thing is, I was well armed verbally to deal with a lot of the uh, the wrestlers. But there's so much jealousy in the business. I mean, I'm sure that um, you know, as 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 a fellow wrestler, you've experienced that sort of thing yourself. Oh, of course. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them. You can understand somebody, like, walking over you to get up the ladder, like, to get ahead of you and everything like that. But a lot of them will stab you in the back just for the sheer hell of it, you know? Sure. But anyway, like, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the wrestlers over there were the same way. I mean, they told me the same, you can't be a wrestler. Little guys like you, Turn a penny, you know, you, you, you know, you'll never make a wrestler or anything like that. And even if you do, you'll never make any money because you're too small. Little guys like you never make anything, you know. But the thing is, it, it's great, really. I mean, in a way, although I dislike my father very much, and I dislike the other miners very much, and I dislike a lot of the uh, wrestlers that, that continue to sort of want to put me down. But the thing is, they don't realize just how much ammunition they gave me, how much determination they gave me, because a lot of people, um, thrive on like positive feedback. I thrive on positive feedback, but if there's anything that I strive more on, it's, um, negative. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. It's negative. Uh, it's, it's negative uh, response because I'm going to try that harder. In fact, I'm going to succeed or die trying just to, just to show you that you're wrong and I'm right.
2: Sure. I can totally relate to that, Adrian, because a, a lot of the things that you, you were told were uh, things I was told, too. And and uh, it does feel... Doesn't it feel great to be able to stick that middle finger up at everyone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't want to be a sore winner, that... but hey, <laughs> F you, everyone, that said, you know, you couldn't do it. yeah, or I couldn't do it.
1: Well, do you think because you were smaller in stature, you made your character so over the top to like balance,
3: yeah, well, balance to be, that to, out? To be honest, um, you'll read all about that in this book. So many, ways, so many ways to hurt you. That's the saying I used to have because you get, you get people sort of bad you before you go in, I'm going to do this to you, I'm going to do that to you and all the rest of it. And my response was, oh, really, dear boy, well, I hope you're bringing all your skills with you because you're going to need them because I've got so many ways to hurt you you would have to invent new ways to scream.
1: Nice. <laughs> yeah, you always have some great lines. That's one of them. I like beating
2: uh, ugly men. That's, beautiful. That's, that's another one.
3: <laughs> you have so many great that's, lines. That's, I that's could, me wrestling with um, some of the guys in Britain.
2: I could kill a man eventually is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: could kill a man
2: eventually. So, so Adrian, the reason why I was asking you about your name early on, and then you, you changed it... Uh, to Adrian Street, but you were in a tag team called the Hell's Angels. Did you ever get any heat from the Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club over that?
3: Yes, yes, the silly buggers. Um, actually, that story would take too long to tell, but you can get it in detail in this.
2: Sadist in sequence. Yeah. That's another yeah, one got, of your books. How many books have you I've
3: written got, total? I've got I've got seven, I've got seven books. This is say. this is the first one after I left Britain. Violence is golden. Do you notice a lot of my um, a lot of my books have got titles of um, songs from my first album? Sure, I did notice violence, that. Violence is golden. Sadist in sequins. Imagine what I can do to you. And this is my latest book, *The Merchant, the Merchant of Menace. Menace*. That's me on the back beating the crap out of Randy Savage. Oh, let's talk about that. From
2: Memphis, right?
3: And I don't know if you can see that, but that's him in a dressing room after i finished with him.
2: I was actually just looking at a match you had with Randy. Yeah. Yeah, last night. I... Go ahead, Jimbo. Well, Sorry.
1: Randy has always been known for really planning out his matches move for move. Like, like we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here. Was that the situation you had with uh, Randy?
3: Not, not with me, mate. Not with me, mate. Um, I had Lib. And I like Randy. i got to like him and all the rest of it. But... Like a lot of other wrestlers, if he was hung for being a wrestler, he would have died innocent because he can't wrestle that's, that's one of my <laughs> if, if, if you if you notice in a lot of my if you notice in a lot of my contests with him and certain other uh, wrestlers we'll use him as an example because that's what we'll be talking about um, I would pretend. I would pretend that I was terrified of him I would pretend I was frightened of him um he, he chased me out of the ring I'd even grab Linda and put Linda be, put Linda in harm's way between Randy and um and myself to really sell the fact to the people like oh you know uh this Randy savage has got Adrian Street's number we've seen Adrian Street beating people up turning them inside out and outside in and all the rest of it I could have beaten Randy Savage the best day of his life in about one minute. It would only take me, it'd only take me um, until I actually got hold of him. But the thing is, how exciting would that be?
2: Yeah,
3: not yeah. so much. It would it'd, it'd show, show Randy up and everything like that. I knew that I had a program with him. It was going to last, I don't know, maybe a couple of months or something like that. So I needed to make the most of it. So I pretend to be afraid of him. I pretend to be frightened of him. I'd run away. I'd run away. I'd run away. So that would build up the uh, the heat and everything like that. But like when we got, when we did sort of come come together and everything like that, um, all he could do with me would be like a stomp or a punch or something like that, or jumping off jumping off the corner post on top of my head and all that kind of stuff. Where well, I'd suffer all that and, and what have you. And then when the time was right, I'd turn him inside out, upside down, and do to him what I could do and what he couldn't do anything about. It was yeah, I mean it was a lot of wrestlers like that.
2: I was just uh, gonna say, I you you had to run you had you ran into that a lot, you know, uh throughout your career here in the States. I, I noticed like in your matches with Dusty Rhodes, like even the one from Lakeland Civic Center, it went just like you said, uh the match with Randy went and when you when you were getting heat on him you, you had a double wrist lock on him. That was like, you, yeah. you actually did a wrestling hold to get heat on him.
3: Yeah. But, but the, the, the thing is, it's funny because when I started my career, everybody, including the other wrestlers, you can't be a wrestler, you're too small. Now, and, and not only that, go away, You're too, you're too small and you're too young. Now, when I decided to come to the States, Everybody, including the other wrestlers, you can't wrestle, little guys like you can't wrestle in the States. They're giants out there, so under giants. You're going to be like Gulliver. You know what I mean? Yeah, little guys like you can't sort of wrestle out there. And as far as I was concerned, that was the same, same old, same old. I'd heard it all before. But the thing is, when I came out, I mean, sometimes I'd be wrestling somewhere and I'd be introduced to my opponent. He'd come over to me and say like, Hey, I'm six foot six. I weigh 290 pounds. i can a big guy like me loose with a little guy like you. I said, don't worry about it, mate. As soon as we get in there, I'll show you. <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> hey, did- Adrian, did you have did you ever have to do just that? Yeah. Did anyone ever test
1: all you?
3: All the, time, all the time, yeah. And I tell you what, I didn't have to do it an awful lot. I didn't have to do it an awful lot before uh, people had come on to me. I mean, for instance, I was wrestling with Ray Candy. Now oh, sure. Ray Ray Candy did not have an attitude. He was the nicest guy. Very nice. But he came the first time could you imagine? I mean, you know the right, the size of Ray Candy. Sure. I mean he was He's a like 400,
2: 400 pounds, you know, six foot five, six six, big big That's black a big dude.
3: Yeah. But can you imagine? I mean by now my reputation had gone round and people knew that they either played it my way or they'd get a smack in. Anyway, he came up to me, and he was almost, he was almost white with shock. Like, oh, my God. Adrian, Adrian, he says, listen, he says, um, I don't have a big man complex. He said, I don't have a big man complex at all. He says, listen, he said, you drop pick me on anything like that. He said, I'll be over the top rope. He said, I'll take bumps for you all over the place. He said, he said, you hit me with a forearm, he said, I'll fly out of the ring. I said, please don't do that, Ray. I said, because you're a big guy with the right attitude. I said, if I go in the ring and beat the crap out of you, I drop kick you and, you and you fly over the top rope and I give you a forearm smash and you fly over the top rope, I said, that isn't going to make me look double uh, powerful. I said, it might give the people like a shock to sort of start off with. But as soon as they see me do it two or three times, it's going to be old hat. I said, we're not going to get a match. I said, if I hit you with a drop kick, I said, if I hit you with a forearm smash or something like that, you stand there and look down on me like, is that the best you've got? I said, you give me a forearm. I said, and I'll fly out of the ring. I said, I want to make you look like there's nothing on earth I can possibly do to you. I said, and I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, and try and try to get one over on you. And I'm going to fail miserably every time because you're so big, you're so powerful, a little like, a little guy like me can't do it. So eventually when I do find a way to do it, what I actually did is I hit him with a forearm, I hit him with another forearm, I hit him with another forearm, he hit me with one, and I flew backwards into the corner. He comes striding forward to get me. I sprung myself out of there and used the ropes to fly right up in the air, and I came down on him with an elbow and knocked him on his backside. The place erupted because they did I'd already showed him it was impossible to do what I just did.
2: Right on. So yeah.
3: all, of, all of a sudden I'm doing the, uh, doing the impossible and what have you, I managed to ro- roll on top of him from that and I got the, uh, and I got the win. The crowd went nuts. Whereas, if, if, he, if, he, if he'd sort of fell down every time I looked at him, it wouldn't have meant anything at the end of the thing. You make something look difficult, you make something look impossible. That's something I've always never understood. Boxers, you get, or, or sometimes wrestlers do it too. But boxers, especially, they might be fighting a guy that's like much older than them. They're an up and coming boxer. And as far as I'm concerned, the speech they make that they they paint they, they themselves into a corner. It's like, oh yeah, I remember okay, like so this guy, um, world champion and everything like that. And he was like one of the greatest in his time. But not now, his legs are gone, his legs have got old. Right. Um yeah. you know, and I'm like this and I'm like that and I beat so and so and I'm gonna beat the crap out of him and everything like that. Now if people listen to that, either not gonna believe him or if they do believe him, what has he beaten if he's already sort of run the guy down? When I talk about a guy or when I wrestle a guy, I'll make him look like the best wrestler in the world. And I'll make him sound like the best wrestler in the world. And in, in an interview, you know, unless the guy's a real mug and he's unredeemable. But then if you make him, if you make him sound like or make him look like the best wrestler in the world and then you beat him, then you've beaten something. When, when I had my wrestling school, that's something I always used to say to the guys. Make Skull the guy that wrestling you're
1: wrestling school.
3: with takes two to the tango. Make the guy that you're wrestling with look really good. If you make him look crap, what have you beaten?
2: Plus, I mean, when, when we make them look good, they want to make us look good, Adrian. That's how it's always worked with me. Yeah. I never had a problem with that kind of thing because I did my <clears throat> best to make my opponent look good, no matter if he was an asshole or not.
3: When I went into Tennessee, Bill Dundee was a booker there. He said to me, you give the guy too much. You give him too much. He's a squash job. Just go in there and squash him. I tell you what, you go in there, all right, it might be a guy who's been squashed every time he's on TV by whoever he's on with. But the thing is, I'd go in there mousing away and all the rest of it. Just imagine how excited the people would be if somebody that's been beaten by everybody actually beaten me after all after all the um, the mousing I've, I've done. Yeah, I'm the best in the world. This that and the other and all the rest of it. I'll go in the ring and start knocking my opponent about and everything like that. But then all of a sudden through sort of overconfidence, I'm standing there posing, and he hits me with a forearm or he hits me with a drop kick or something like that. And just for those few minutes, he's got me on the ropes. Can you imagine how excited yes. that is? Yeah, I can imagine. And could you imagine, what can I say to that? Like if um, if um, if he'd beat me, like I've made it look like he's almost done it. Bill Dundee said to me, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You know what I mean? The, the, the guy's just a job boy and everything like that. Don't. I believed in getting an exciting match out of everybody. Exactly, like, that's a Every thing. Time i stepped in a ring. I'm entertaining the people, and to do that, if I'm a villain, I've got to make it look just oh, I'm just bitten off a little bit more overconfidence. And and like the key word
2: to me is the the the, the enhancement match, the squash match, whatever. Entertaining. A lot of guys just go out there and they're just getting their, you know they're just doing their stuff and and. There wasn't really any uh, thought about making it entertaining. Yeah, and that's and that's a great <laughs> yeah. thing about you. How was it being uh, being a heel all those years and all of a sudden having to be a baby base? Because I know when you came, like okay, you had your match with uh, Dusty in Lakeland and did great business. Then you came back as his partner and sold the place out, and you yes. were hu- over huge yeah. with the people.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't get on with him either because I used to call him Busty Rose, the American queen, and he didn't
2: like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was smart enough to know he could do good, good business with you, Adrian.
3: Oh, I mean, I'll tell you, when I went down there first, I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's the best fucking gimmick I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I remember when you cut his hair. Remember when you
2: cut his hair in uh, Lakeland?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we did we, we did, um, we did uh, like a hair match and everything like that with the scissors up a pole and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I ended up getting the scissors and I was just about to cut his hair, but he knocked it out of my hand, knocked me down. And by the time I got up, he cut a piece off mine. Except that what I did, I didn't want him cutting any pieces of my actual hair. What I did is I got a couple of, uh, what do you call it? Um, extensions. extensions. I got a couple of extensions, hair pieces, and I tied them into my hair and fastened those feathers on, and everything like that, so that when he actually cut my hair, all he was doing is cutting off an extension. I wouldn't have been my hair ruined really, because I wasn't planning on staying there much longer anyway, you know. Why? Why is that?
2: What was your experience working in Florida, Adrian, or and for in for the championship? Oh, wrestling from Florida. Uh,
3: uh, the thing is, um. The thing is, it was the best territory I'd been in up until then, as far as like making money was concerned, and all the rest of it. Right. I liked it. I liked Eddie Graham, and he liked me because I could wrestle. Eddie Eddie liked wrestlers, oh, yeah. and I was best. And I was a wrestler, not 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 a bad actor, um, a good wrestler. And we Rick- in fact, I was a great wrestler, but there you go. I wouldn't say that. How about I, only- I will. I'll say only it for you. The only, the only thing that stopped me from being perfect is my modesty.
2: <laughs> but there's two, the, Florida was actually two territories, like the Gulf Coast area where, where you actually uh, reside. That was a separate territory that you worked in as well.
3: Yeah, I, I'd never even heard of that one. Uh, I, I, I had sort of heard of it and everything like that. Um when I was in Canada working for Stewart. But um uh, I think I was working yeah, I was working I was working in Tennessee when I first got like a lot of news and it was uh it was Luke Williams who was a very good friend of mine, oh, yeah. you know, one, yeah, one of the one of the sheep earners. He he's the one that really told me about uh, Gulf Breeze. And um, he actually gave me um, the name, address, and phone number of a realtor. And I actually came here. I bought five properties in Gulf Breeze, um more than a year before I actually came here to live. Wow! I bought them as rental properties. You know, I've still I've still got four I've still got four of those apart from. Apart from the from the house I'm living in,
2: just to just to veer off from wrestling for just a one second here, being a resident of Gulf Breeze for all these years, how many UFOs have you seen? How many what? UFOs, un, unidentified flying objects.
3: I, I often wonder because when we used to wrestle when we used to wrestle down on the uh, on the pier every Sunday night, right? It's only a short drive from my house, so Linda and I would get ready and put our makeup and everything like that. on put our weird costumes on and put our makeup on before we ever left yeah and I said Alinda, I wonder how many i uh, I wonder how many times we've been responsible for people reporting sort of um <laughs> <laughs> Like an encounter
2: of a certain kind or something. <laughs> That's funny. You know, you you just brought up uh, Linda, and I want to ask you about Linda because you don't hear like she's like an unsung hero to me. Uh, how 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 much uh, credit do you give her for your success, Adrian? Oh, an awful lot, an
3: awful lot. We were we were we were a team, and um. To get the full story, you're going to have to read all my books, all seven of them. No, no, in actual fact, um, Linda, and I, Linda and I got together. 1969? Um, yeah, 1969, and that's um, this book. Uh,
2: okay, Sequence and Sequence. <laughs> sequence. <laughs>
3: that's Such a great name. That's the first holiday we went to went um, away um, with, and that's before she was ever in the business. But it's after I left the big time promotions, the big time promotions never used girl wrestlers.
2: Right.
3: And what actually happened there is I left the big time promotions because I got an offer I couldn't refuse from the Wrestling Federation of Great Britain. They, they They were the second biggest well, they were, the, they were the biggest independent um, pro, um, promoters at the time. Who
2: was the promoter?
3: Oreg uh, Williams. Oreg oh, Williams, okay. Yeah, Oreg Williams was the uh, actual promoter of the Rep. He offered me 50% after expenses, 50% of whatever came in through the door. So very often I was making more money in one night. Um, for them, because it was in actual fact, he gave me half the promotion. The promotion was half mine, nice. and nice. half the profits after expenses were um, were mine. And very often, I made more money in one night than I was making in a in a whole week working for the big time promoters. So that was the reason, but. They also used to use uh, lady wrestlers, and they they had some good ones, very good ones.
2: Klondike Kate worked for
3: them. I mean, they they learned to wrestle from the guys, and the guys were good wrestlers. But anyway, it was Linda's suggestion. She said, "Like, listen, you know yourself. If if for some reason um, some some wrestler didn't turn up." They might say to you, like, oh, hang about, you know, don't, don't, please don't rush away because, you know, you might need to go in again. So-and-so hasn't turned up yet. Well, if a male wrestler didn't turn up, you know, you could, you could stick a guy back in that had already wrestled that night and the crowd wouldn't be too upset about it. But, you know, what if you got one of the girls there and the other girl doesn't turn up? You know, I mean, you could put the other girl in with a guy, but I mean that's not what the uh, that's not what the uh, the fans paid for right. they wanted to see a ladies wrestling match and if one girl isn't there, they're not gonna see a ladies wrestling match. So Linda said to me first of all, she why don't you teach me enough so I can actually go in and take the place of another girl if another girl doesn't turn up? Well, she was hardly into a training when exactly that happened. The weather was horrible in the place we went to. The other girl couldn't get there. So, um, we put Linda in. And she did well. I mean, she 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 I was so surprised and everything like that that it was like details that she'd listen to me and absorb things that I just you know, I I, I thought I would be teaching her for like another year or two, before she actually got that instinct, you know? Sure. But anyway, the very next week, we were touring Ireland. We were over there for six days in Belfast, wrestling around different places in Belfast. And she came over um, and, and wrestled six times, wrestled six times that week. Now, the thing is, whenever I went over there, Naturally, I was like the guy that everybody was taking notice of. And uh, wherever yeah, the newspapers would be around there. Um, Want take photographs of me doing this and doing that and doing sort of something else, interviewing me for TV and everything. I took Linda over there and we t- I turned her into a Red Indian. I called her Blackfoot Sue, <laughs> and um, <laughs> You couldn't get away like with a, that now. She <laughs> like a band with like a war eagle on and everything like that. I designed um, like a buckskin dress and all the fringes on for her. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can actually see that on the bottom. That was Linda's Blackfoot Sue.
2: Okay.
3: Yeah, and I don't know if you can see that one there. That was her when she was Miss Aquarius. <laughs> with the red that's, hair,
2: with the red hair,
3: wow! That's that, that's that's me in Quest for Fire.
2: Oh yes, <laughs> you okay? People that, don't. A that, lot of people probably don't know you. you and not, like it was eighty, early eighties. You were in Quest for Fire with Ron Perlman.
3: Yeah, that's right. With Ron Perlman and uh, Everett McGill. Yeah. And um, the actual know? fact, I was involved with that movie. We're going off the subject, actually, but. I'll just say it quickly, Um, I was involved in that movie for about two years before they actually started filming. Uh. I was involved with the costumes, I was involved with the makeup. I worked with um, Chris Tucker with all the makeup and stuff like that. And um, I worked with various people with the costumes. Penny Rose was like one of the main people. Mm -hmm. But apart from the characters that I actually played in Quest for Fire, um, I was a prototype for all the other Neanderthal tribes' costumes as well. Ah, okay. So okay. that's why. I mean, we were working on the costumes and working on the makeup um, for for that movie almost two years before we actually started filming. Nice.
2: Back to Linda. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that happens with me sometimes, Adrian. I apologize.
3: Oh, oh I tell you what. Um, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of famous for, like, if I, if I tell a story, I'll go back to sort of actually give it some foundation, where it actually led, you know, how it actually led to that. Sure. But then very often, I'll go in a different direction, and all of a sudden, I'll say, like, why well, Why am I talking about this? Exactly. <laughs> where, where, am I, where am I going with it, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of Linda, you guys met because you were buying exotic fish, and she worked at this fish store, and you said that you think she sold you sick fish so you'd constantly go back and see her. Did she ever (laughs) admit to this being true or not?
3: Yeah, that is absolutely true. Yeah. The the store that she worked in was the first store in Britain that actually um, sold tropical marine fish. And I... The only time I'd ever seen tropical marine fish before was in sort of like a zoo, like the special aquariums and things like that that they had there. It wasn't something for the public, you know. But anyway, that was the first shot, that was the first store that I actually introduced them to, uh, to Britain. When I saw them, I had to have them, and I'd only, just, I'd only just bought my first house at the time. I was actually married at the time, and so was Linda, but to different people, you know. But um anyway, I kept going back and everything like that and we had so much in common. you know I told you earlier that I liked painting and sculpturing so does Linda she's a great artist and um, there were different sort of clays and different things that I used to sculpt with and everything like that and she used to, she used to sculpt or wanted to sculpt um, little base relief exotic fish you know the same type that I that I used to buy off her, and I used to bring her clays um, that you could actually fire. You could actually model it in this sort of like almost like rubber, but then you could actually fire it and set hard, and she you could paint and everything, you know. And I worked with her on that, and we got to know each other. But um, I was always asking her because there was like a, like a, a well-known arena right by the uh, right by the store. Um, Fairfield Halls in Croydon that I used to wrestle there quite a lot and I was always invited to come up there and um, it was a long time before she came and even when she did she'd go there with a chaperone so so I didn't have to give her a you know so that um, she wouldn't rely on me for a ride home. I don't know what she thought I was going to do. <laughs> but anyway, eventually she did and I did. So we've been together ever since. That's
2: so cool. That is cool. How long have you all been together now? So Well, I mean, you all met since in 69.
1: 69, and I think they got married in 2005. Well, we've, been together, we've been together since
3: 1969.
2: And and when you got married, uh, Don Leo Jonathan was your uh, best
3: man? Yep.
2: Amazing. That is so cool.
3: I, I, I never actually met him. I mean he was my hero. He was, he was my first wrestling hero, and I never actually met him until um, the night I proposed to Linda. I didn't even know if I, I thought Linda would say yes, but I wasn't sure, but I'd already asked him if he'd be my best man before um, like the, the same night that I was going to that I was going to propose to Linda. And I said, if Linda says yes, will be my best man. Uh, and he agreed I would. He was well aware of me, funnily enough, even though he'd retired a number of years before. He was well aware of me, and uh, so I he I was so flattered because he said he thought I was a great wrestler. He said, what a gimmick! What a gimmick! Yeah. I so it. I Just, mean, it was I, I was so pleased that. It wasn't just—it wasn't sort of just hero worship, which it still was even after all those years. But um, there was like a mutual respect there and everything. What a great guy! But I'll tell you something else too. The guy that married us was an ordained Catholic priest. At the moment, he's on the shot He's a bishop now. The guy who actually married us at yeah. uh, the at the cauliflower alley club. Um, but before. He was an in Catholic priest. He wrestled professionally as a Wolfman. <laughs> as what? As the Wolfman. As oh. the Wolfman. Jason, Jason Saunders. Oh, I'll be damned!
1: So everyone was a wrestler at the wedding. That's awesome.
2: so Hey, does Linda still uh, have that golden glove, uh, the, the golden boxing glove for the purse? That was one of my favorite things that, that you got part of your act.
3: Do you know something? Um... The funny thing is, she came across it the other day. She still got it. Nice. She said, Oh, poor thing. What shall I do with it? And I said, Keep it. I said, I have to collect this item now.
2: Absolutely. And it, it actual,
3: in actual fact, we came in. I never. Do, do you know the funny thing is? You know, I told you that the wrestlers in Britain, you can't go to the States. You're too small and you're too old now. Why not you hang up a glove? You know, why didn't you hang the thing up? I was 40 before I left Britain. And I had my 41st birthday in Mexico City. I was wrestling down there for Flores. Um, I had my 41st birthday when Mike LaBelle heard we were doing great business down there. It was Mike LaBelle actually brought me into the States. Um, the 31st of January, 1980, 1982. And I'd already had my 41st birthday In Mexico, a couple of months before, before I ever set foot in the States. And quite honestly, I've had a longer and more profitable career since I've been in the States than I ever had the whole time I wrestled in Europe. Wow. And so when you,
2: when, so Mike LaBelle uh, was the first one to bring you to the States. So I'm, I'm assuming you came to LA.
3: Yeah. And not only that, um, it was Mike LaBelle's wife that actually gave Linda the golden glove oh, okay. because she was hitting her. I mean, she had like a little bag that she made that she'd whack people with at the um, you know at the appropriate time. And Mike LaBelle's um, Mike Bell's wife gave Linda the the uh, the golden glove, and she said, "Why don't you use this for a purse?" And it was perfect because. You know the little bag she had it wasn't padded at all, and um, there'd be a bottle in there. There'd be like a bottle in there that I'd sort perfume. of perfume. She'd spray me with. And I'd stack sort of rhinestones and big rhinestones all, all over and everything like that. And I mean, she'd swing that thing round, and it was the, the original bag she had was capable of splitting somebody open. It.
2: Oh. Yeah. Adrian Adrian was there was there something in particular that made you decide whether you would go with the skull crusher like the skull makeup or like the more you know uh I don't know the lighter mood always,
1: uh, costumes thought, that you would wear The butterfly with the skull yeah. reminded me of Silence of the Lambs
3: The the thing the thing is I always I always believed in making an impact as soon as people actually saw me. And I, I, I always kept a diary and I'd write, in, I'd write in a diary so I wouldn't forget because sometimes sometimes you're at the place on a weekly basis, you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you're in the same arena every week. And I didn't want exactly the same look every week. So one day, um, like the first time I went there, I might have a butterfly sort of painted on my face and... Like everything would be pink and pretty and I'd be dressed in, in sort of um, pink with sort of white sort of swans down and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. around the place. And then maybe the next time I'd wear like purple velvet and um, and lace and everything like that. I thought maybe and there then, was just something... So then that- I think to myself, well, now I want to hit him with a contrast. Yeah. So then I'd hit him with maybe like the chains and studs and a skull a skull with bat wings on my face instead of like a pretty butterfly, you know?
2: I just thought that maybe that was when you were deciding you were going to get serious and really hurt someone, eventually kill a man uh, eventually.
3: Well, um, I used, uh, in a place I was at for a long time, I did start to use that. Okay, now I'm in mean business. I've got the right. black studs on, you know? Sure. So, you know, I mean when I first introduced like sort of wearing different sort of stuff and now and again, I'd throw in the chains and had all kinds of intermediate sort of uh, looks and everything like that as well, you know? Yeah. Adrian,
2: Adrian, can you talk to us about, and, and this is my favorite wrestling movie ever grunt, the wrestling movie. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so it's it, it's great. It's about it, it's timeless. It's yes. It's campy. It's cheesy, and it's uh, it, it, and you it were was, fantastic it, in it.
3: It, it. it was so bad, it was good. Exactly. <laughs> in actual fact, in actual fact, i would only written, i would only written and performed and recorded four tracks at the time, and they used three of them. And now they used three of the four tracks in that movie, but. Um, yeah Both Linda and I were in that movie And we played ourselves in it And, and all that kind of uh, thing I had a lot to say With what I did and what I didn't do either Because the scene With John Tolis They told me They said like oh, okay <clears throat> When they come to the bit where um, With a mask Slaps Bill Grant um, What was his name Um
2: I forget what they called him in the movie, but Bill Bill Grant was a former uh, Mister World and, and uh, yeah, incredible well, bodybuilder, really nice great,
3: guy. Great guy, too. Really nice guy. Um, Captain Carnage. That's right. That, that was his character's name. When the mask, you know, when when he insulted um, when he insulted the mask, you, you're garbage, and um, and the mask gives him a smack in the face. Yeah. At that stage, they wanted me to. They were going to sort of wreck wreck the um, The the set set of um, Exotic Adrian Street Corner. Um, The funny thing is, I actually did that in real life for Mike LaBelle, um, going off the subject, well, a little bit. But anyway, what they wanted me to do was what they thought my character would do would be screaming and running around all over the place, shrieking and screaming. I said, no, I'm <laughs> going to do the British bit rather than the uh, screaming queen bit, you know. So I said, whenever that happens and they start to the fight, I'm going to jump up on the, um, I'm going to jump up on my chair and say, like, down boys, down, like, try to sort of control them. And um, John told is going to push me and I'm going to fall past back into the um, into the uh, trash can that they've got there while all the fighting goes on. And I mean, there's scenery falling down on my head. It's just the way it got knocked. Out. It, that was all kind of ad live where everything fell and went and everything like that. And instead of running scuttling around, um, mincing about all over the place and, and screaming like a constipated queen, <laughs> as I said, until it was over? And then with a the microphone, which I still had in my hand, well, viewers, that ends another exotic Adrian Street Corner. Yeah. Which I thought was like a lot better than than the other character running around all hysterical over the place. Especially considering we've already been talking about me going into the battle royal where I'm gonna be one of the major where I'm gonna be one of the major contestants in that. Right. For the in, world titles. Yeah. In fact I was the last I was the last but three and got double crossed out of um, out of that by the mask. Well, you're lucky
2: you didn't get your head caught in the ropes and uh, yeah, decapitated, decapitated. <laughs> Adrian.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but any, anyway, talking about movies, I'm glad you mentioned that because at the moment... Um, you have a
2: biopic coming John, out about John, you, right?
3: John Randles, who is the um, director and um, producer of um, Adrian a Movie, which is a new movie being made, it's in the early stages of production in Britain right now. Um, she is also making a documentary which kind of introduces Adrian the movie, which is a feature film. It's going to be a multi-movie, a multi-million dollar movie, actually. But um, she's interviewing different people who knew me way back when. Jake the Snake is already in the um, in the can. We've already got an interview from him, and so is uh, McFoley now.
2: Oh, that's so, awesome!
3: So you know, I mean, that's uh, those should, people. Are, well, those should... those two those two guys I've mentioned are well known in in the UK as well as in the states. But that is going to uh, that that is really going to sort of give um, give. Uh, Adrian the documentary which precedes um Adrian the movie. Um, um a lot of um credibility.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I
1: would love to see an interview with Dustin Ro- or Dustin Rhodes about like growing up with you facing Dusty and how much an influence you had on his Goldust character. That would be great read, to hear that.
3: Read read all about it in this book. <laughs> Violence, is Violence is golden. Speaking
0: of
1: books, I know you you've written seven read books but in that
3: book because like I like I explained in the book when I wrestled with Dusty, um, especially around Tampa or wherever it was that, um, that Dusty lived, little Dustin would be at some of those shows. That's right. Watching, watching me wrestle with his father. And like I explained in Violence is Golden, the image he, the image he portrayed when he was a lot um, older and actually got to be in the business proves that he was a lot more Influenced and impressed by my characters and his father's.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, there are. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to deny the uh, the similarities there. The androgynous character and with the uh, with the female manager.
3: How how about that, Adrian? I I wonder. I wonder. I wonder where he got that from. I don't know.
2: I'm not really sure. And the blonde
3: hair. The um, there's, there's one thing. There's one thing I've said though about a lot of them, like Adrian Adonis, um and Goldust, uh, Justin Rhodes, Johnny B. Bad, uh, like, Goldust, Queequeg. we we'll There's there's a multitude of them, right? There's lots of them. We'll use those. As, we'll use those two as an example, right? And I'll say that. A limp wrist, patting your lips, patting somebody on the backside, or giving them a kiss is the easy part. Sure, anybody, anybody could emulate that. You could go in the ring tomorrow and do it. The people that people would know where it was coming from. But what I've never seen any of them emulate is my wrestling. That's yeah. see, I used to
2: talk. I used to tell people that would, and uh, when I would talk about other characters that that were even similar to to yours the difference was when when you got a guy in trouble you brought it adrian i mean you got them in trouble you were vicious you have a mean streak and that's missing from a lot of these guys that are that are that are trying to do what you did it's called street
3: fighting
2: yeah <laughs> adrian street fighting <laughs> but i i mean things have changed so much since back then and you know how much Well, it's kind of a loaded question. And and I know you've been asked about this, the uh, portraying... And you weren't portraying a gay character, per se. Like, that was something that uh, other people might have come to that assumption. Is that a good way of putting it?
3: Yes. Yes. But the thing is, I wanted to draw attention to myself and anybody who's got half an eye um will agree that I was successful in drawing attention to myself. And one of the best ways of doing that is to suggest one thing, is to suggest one thing um, and then hit him with something entirely different. The beat. For switch. instance, um, there was some there was some there was some guy in Texas or something like that. Um an announcer, like uh, an announcer, that said it best. Wow, well, when that uh, Adrian straight, when well, that Adrian straight, when you know when he makes his way to the ring, when he makes an entrance, damn me, when he's uh, on his way to the ring and gets in the ring and everything, damn me, it looks like a French poodle. He looks to me just like a French poodle, but damn me, when a bell goes and he gets down to business, he changes from a poodle to a damned American. Pit dog
2: yeah. That's and a good that is the them. thing
3: I mean the thing is I would suggest one thing as much as possible and then hit him with a complete contrast so there's, there's mystery and all the rest of it and Linda was part of that mystery too you know that guy, that guy looks like a big sissy and everything like that he looks like a sissy uh, you know what is he doing with a girl and I, I would treat her badly especially too right. you know
2: Put her put her in harm's way. That was that was all really good stuff.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Adrian,
2: Adrian, uh, how's your health now? Because when I when I originally met you, you had just beaten cancer. I want to say in the <laughs> early nineties, right, or late late eighties, early nineties.
3: Yeah, I tell you what, you've got a you, you, you've got a good memory, mate. That's exactly what it was. But. Um, yeah, and, and do you know what annoys me is I've never smoked and I've never liked smoking and I don't right. like people around me that smoke. You know, you, you you don't you don't come on my property if you've got a cigarette in your hand. Let alone my house. You know what I mean, sure. you're not welcome if you smoke around me. Because the thing is, back in the day, most of the wrestlers used to smoke. A lot of them were chain smokers. They'd light one cigarette off the other and they'd be smoking all the time. We used to make the matches in those days in um, joint promotions, like the big-time promoters, yep. had a whole fleet of um, old ambulances that they put like lots of seats in and everything like that. They had a top speed of about 45 miles an hour. <laughs> The roads over there were horrible, so I mean, even 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 a journey that was like like a couple of hundred miles, you'd have to leave in the morning and you'd be sitting with these guys all the way there. And they'd be puffing one cigarette after the other, and you were there. They had no air conditioning, uh, no suspension. If you went over a pebble, it'd shake your teeth out. <laughs> but you'd, you'd freeze your ass off in the winter. You'd sweat your balls off in the, um, in, the, uh, in the summer. And that's the way it was. And all the time these guys are smoking. When you go to the dressing room, they'd be smoking. Um, fortunately enough for me, I got to be one of the main events after not wrestling for that long a time. That was fortunate, but unfortunately, the latter matches, when they went in there, the people in the audience have been smoking all night. I'd go in the ring and it'd be like this blue haze just hanging yep. under, under the ring lights. You'd go in there and we had long matches in uh, Britain. Your matches would be anything from 35, from 35 minutes to 90 minutes. That's how long you could be in the ring. My average time was about 40, 45 minutes back in those days, but you could be there a little shorter, you could be there a lot longer. But, I mean, we used to wrestle flat out. So all the time I'm breathing, other people smoke, other people smoke, other people smoke. Right. In 1990, I started coughing up blood all over the place. I didn't know what it was. I'd go and see a doctor and he'd cauterize the back of my throat, send me on my way. And before I even go home, I'd be coughing up blood again. And I just kept doing that. And I used to go to the hospital first thing in the morning with a bucket on my lap. And I'd fill the bottom of the bucket up with blood coming out of my mouth, out of my throat. I'd go in there, they'd cauterize it, send me on my way. Very often I I wouldn't even get home before I'd have to go back again. Anyway, one morning I got up and I'm coughing and it's coming out like ropes. And Linda said, oh, I'll take you to the hospital. And she grabbed a bucket. I said, keep the bucket. I said, give me a pile of kitchen Uh, paper. So she gave me a great big pile of kitchen paper and I just let myself cough and bleed into this. And I made an entrance. (laughs) I'm famous for making dramatic entrances and that was one of them. I walked in there and that's the first time. They really took me serious. I had a big pile of kitchen paper that was absolutely soaked in blood and it was dripping and dropping everywhere. He brought a specialist in, um, they did tests and all the rest of it. Then I had to go back and see him and everything like that for. So he'd give me the, the, the diagnosis and the results. Anyway, I went to see him. Dr. Lurton, his name was. He had a he had one strange bedside manner, I'm telling you. But he says to me, Mr. Street. Um, He said, I've got some very bad news for you. He said, the type of throat cancer you've got is very malignant. He said, I'm going to give it to you straight. You're not going to make it out of this. He said, I suggest you go home and put your affairs in order. So I said to him, I'm not dying yet, mate. There's too many people in the world I haven't pissed off yet. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my attitude. And I think because I've got that attitude, People people have told me many times I've had I've had career ending injuries. You'll never wrestle again, that's it. Your Achilles tendon got snapped right in half. You never wrestle again. You had an
2: Achille, you had a I, ruptured Achilles tendon?
3: Not ruptured, it was torn in half. Oh wow. put together back back together with cut cut. I had the same I had the same deal with I had the same deal with that actually. I was 36 years of old, 36 years of age at the time, and I was at the very top of my game. Um, my Achilles tendon got torn in half in the ring. Shows how determined I am. I still, my, my foot was flopping about. I had no control over yeah. it at all. And I, I still went on to win the I still went on to win the match. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs>
2: anyway, so anyway,
3: I ended up in hospital. After the surgery, they sold my Achilles tendon together with Cut Cut. Um, I was laying in hospital and I was watching an old black and white Flash Gordon movie actually yeah. with, with uh, Buster Crab or somebody like that was playing a part. Anyway, I'm watching that and the surgeon came around and he said like uh Oh, he said, i come to check on you. He said, like, uh, he said, uh, what are you doing? He said, what are you going to do now? I said, you I'm be miserable, I guess. <laughs> he said, no. He said, let me rephrase that. He said, you used to be a professional wrestler. What are you going to do now? He said, because you could never even think about wrestling again. He said, if you do, he said, you're going to break your t- tendon again. He said, because your tendon, the tendon that we've, um, Mended, he said. It's always going to be weak, he said. And it's shorter than the. Uh, it's going to be shorter than the other one. And he said, <clears throat> he said, you're um, just about. I, he said, I, I would give you like a ninety-nine percent um, chance that you're going to have a re-break if you even think about wrestling again. Mm. But I'm a wrestler. That's what I do. Of course. You know, so. It took me a while to get it took me a while to get back. First of all, in actual fact, um, I got an outfit because I didn't want I would have been embarrassed to see people for people to see me not wrestling at my best.
2: Yeah. So I
3: made an outfit with a mask that sort of moved with my face, a rubber mask that moved with my face, with a lot of long black hair that hung down over it. So it disguised it even more that the face wasn't real. A big hump on my back and everything like that. And I wrestled as Quasimodo. And I actually made myself a boot What's for my that? left leg that came sort of way up so that I couldn't bend my leg and I couldn't <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't skip about and, and prance about like I used to, even if I wanted to. Because I made a I made myself a boot. At least you couldn't get pinned. It, and bit by <laughs> and bit and bit by bit and bit by bit when I got more confidence I came out of that character and um I began wrestling again and that was it. Wow. And just a number of years ago I was already in my early fifties um when an opponent jumped off a corner post and instead of landing across my chest hit me in the leg and he took my kneecap off the bottom of my kneecap ended up where the top of my knee, just above where the top of my kneecap is supposed to be. Oh. And, I was, and I was in my early 50s by then. So um, I was told then, don't even think about wrestling anymore. But people can't, I, I won't allow people, I won't allow anybody, the coal miners, other wrestlers, doctors, bloody professors, never mind what they are, I won't allow anybody else to tell me what I'm to do and what I'm not to do I've always been my own boss I've only got one way of doing things
2: my way So, Adrian, even after you uh, got the cancer in remission you continued to wrestle, right? oh yeah Um, I mean that was when I met you You, the cancer was in remission when you were in global, I'm pretty sure
3: no no? no, that would have been um, it was 91 then uh, yeah, that would have been that would have been just before, because um, from the treatment, from the radiation and from the chemo, I lost all my hair. Uh-huh. And when my hair started to grow back, instead of it being all sort of nice and glossy and fine like it was and and straight, my hair came back all frizzy and sort of almost curly. And I wrestled like that for a little bit, but if I can't have things the way I want them, then I don't want them at all. And by then, I know I knew what I looked like with my head shaved, so that was it. So in order to actually make my entrance into the ring,
2: uh-huh.
3: I was wrestling for promoters. Sometimes I wrestled for promoters that I'd never wrestled for before. And they wanted me to wrestle. They were offering me good money to, uh, to do it, so okay, I'll do it. But what I do is actually make my entrance with a blonde wig that I made up to look like my hair used to be. Yeah. So I'd go in the ring, so people would recognize. You know, people recognize me because of the hair. I'd go in the ring and everything like that, make my entrance, Linda, take my gown and all the rest of it. I'd let a bell ring and I sort of actually start to prance around the ring. And. Um, Linda would call me. I say, "Get down off the apron." I no, I want to start my math. You've forgotten. You Oh, yeah. Okay. So I would go over to the corner and where have you? Lay back there. Linda, take my wig off. And that's the first time that anybody would see me in that particular arena with no hair.
2: Wait a minute. That's the same thing Gold Dust would do.
3: <laughs> I wonder where he got it from.
1: Come on. <laughs>
2: Amazing. I didn't even know you were you you did that, Adrian. I didn't know you had the you were, you did the wig. So that's even that's another thing that uh, another comparison between the the exotic one. And I love how dust. he
1: told cancer and yeah, a torn Achilles. Compare, imagine
3: what I'll do to you. Don't compare me with him. That is no
2: comparison.
3: Sorry. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Wow, man, Adrian. I, I I really want to thank you so much for uh, for giving us some of your time today. Um, you're just one of the most amazing uh characters, just people in wrestling that that I've ever met and uh and huge fan. Just so honored that you came by. Is there anything that you want to hit on before uh before we let you out of here?
3: Yeah, um buy all my books. Available Everybody, on Amazon. Buy all my books. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for um for uh for Adrian the, the documentary and, and Adrian, the feature movie. And also, um, your website. Buy my, yeah. The bizarre, buy, bizarre. Buy my, buy my first record album. It's great. <laughs> and the way, the, the way that, uh, the way that Sean has re revamped it and, uh, whatever and everything like that is excellent. It's probably better than it was originally. So, Get my album. It's on cassette.
2: Are we talking about Shake, Wrestle and Roll?
3: Shake, Wrestle and Roll, yes. the album. Yeah. Nice.
2: And your, and your website? Bizarre, 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 bizarre.
3: Yeah.
2: .com. Yeah. Wrestling gear. Look,
3: look for burger, look for burger records.
2: Burger records. Cool.
3: Burger records. They reissued it. They brought it out on CD. They brought it out on cassette and they brought it out on vinyl in actual fact, they've got a collector's—they've got a collector's um, copy. Just so many of them on vinyl. That's blood spattered. Oh good wow! Good. Oh man, so cool.
2: Well, thank you so much, Adrian. I, I thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, please, uh, our best to uh, Miss Linda, and uh, have an awesome day, Adrian. Thank okay, you so much for doing, it's doing safe
3: this. Thank you. And thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Cheers, oh, man. Oh, that was so cool.
1: Well, we'll be right back with more X Pac 12360.
2: Yes, we will.
0: Hey guys, Maria Manunos here. We want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later.
2: We're back here on XPOC one two three sixty. That was the Adrian Street interview. That oh,
0: was so cool. It was cool. I was I was I was so amazed. I just sat here in silence the whole time.
2: No, you didn't. You sat in the <laughs> booth in silence. Bury you came league. in that's here fine. during <laughs> one of the breaks. <laughs> liar.
0: Yeah, I do what I can.
2: No liars on the show, Mark.
0: Well, that's me. I am I am the one liar. If there is anything.
2: <laughs> no, you're right. You're just
0: mistaken. No, yeah, but that that I love that interview. You know, He's he's one of those guys that, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I know some something about. Yeah, but not entirely everything. Yeah, yeah.
2: If I would have just done everything chronologically with him from beginning to end, just like read off the Wikipedia or something, we'd still be doing the interview. Oh yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't even have left England yet, yeah. probably. Imagine if I'd have done that with Luke Williams, too. Like, I mean, both oh, these guys man. with, like, 50-plus year careers.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, it, crazy. It, even the, the stuff that, talking about him and, and his relationship with his dad and how that yeah. inspired his character and how he would shake up his character week, week after week just so that it was so fresh and so different, going from Kiss-like with the studs and everything one yeah. week to butterflies and, and beautiful eye makeup the next. Like, what... What an inspiration for people who are still super character driven, you know. There's yeah. some guys who are just like, yeah, I'm a fighter. Because but... you
2: can have like a really like heavy like character based act and still be a hell of a wrestler.
0: Yep. Yeah, that that's what's
1: so funny to me is like he was so over the top character that I think Jim Cornette said in an interview that if fans ever wanted to test a wrestler they'd send him to Adrian because they knew Adrian could handle himself and they'd be like, oh, let me beat up this dude in makeup and then See, they'd leave without an that's eye. That's
2: the thing I don't <laughs> like, though, about wrestling back then. Like, like okay, uh, uh, okay, you're having a problem with this guy. Let's put him in there with Adrian. Well, maybe Adrian doesn't want to have to do that to, yeah. you know, to some poor guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... Be the enforcer? Yeah. Without wanting to be the enforcer?
0: Yeah. But I also did like, this, in spite of all of that, the fact that he as as much as people be like no, let me fly for you you know no that's not that's not how this works He was the guy who yes.
2: was talking about Ray Candy was in a team called the Zambui Express with okay a guy named Bad Bad Leroy Brown yeah another guy just very similar size uh, both guys are black um, and so back then uh, the early 80s they they shaved their heads with in, in a mohawk. And were camouflage fatigues, and were called, like I said, the Zambui Express. Yeah. And they were vicious heels. But uh, when I look back on some of the matches, yeah, like uh, the fabulous ones, like one of the fabulous ones would shoot Ray Candy into the ropes at four hundred pounds, and he'd just go flying in the ropes, <laughs> take a hip toss. It. I mean, it's just like, yes, speak. You know, going by what what Adrian was speaking on, like you just because a guy will do that for you doesn't mean he should. Yeah. You know, so... I never let guys do that for me, that, uh...
0: Did anybody offer?
2: Oh, yeah. Sure. And every now and again, you would have to, like, do something just because there was absolutely no... Like, after thinking about it, there was really no other way of getting to that point, and... And, uh... You would have to, like, just redo everything to... I, I don't know. I'm go I'm over explaining things. Uh, was well, still. Sorry it's it's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes I try to explain things and
0: it just doesn't come out right. Uh X Pac <laughs> explains it all. No. I
2: try to and fall fall terribly it, short. Well it's
1: really respectable of him to know good business because with the egos and wrestling and people always wanting to be better and like, oh no, I'm better than you, I should win. If someone came up to you and was like, "Oh, I'm going to do all this stuff, and you know, I want you to do this to me and this to me, and, and like make you look so yeah. great because you're making me look so bad," but he was smart, a smart businessman I was like, "No, because then next month, no one's going to pay to see us."
2: Yeah. But I was,
1: I was, you chase me,
2: and I was hoping he would end up telling us who he actually had to uh, had to stretch out in there, you know, like yeah, he, he had to put I, in their place.
0: He has such a big career; I wouldn't be surprised if we can get him back on yeah. for another oh. time. Yeah, loved it, awesome. So, all right. So anything crazy. else? Uh, I think we just need to to put the show over a little bit. Yeah. You get this, uh, this one? This Xbox one. Xbox one 360 on Afterbus TV.
1: That oh, you gosh. could uh, find on iTunes. Like, rate, and subscribe. Leave a comment. You could also watch us on YouTube. Give us that thumbs up, like button. We always love that. Also, Sean has some upcoming events. We have this weekend Get High Watch Wrestling at Cinefamily in Santa Monica with Ron Fernandes. not Santa
0: Monica, it's off of Santa That's Monica fair. Boulevard. Oh. Yeah. Oh.
2: In, I thought you said in Santa no, Monica. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Right
2: it's on Fairfax. Yeah. Fairfax in Santa Monica, right? Is it? Is it? Yeah. We'll I, be there. I, I used yeah. to drive by there all the time. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> used to be the silent theater, right? Yeah, it was a silent yeah. movie theater
1: back in the day. Yeah. And now it's still a movie theater, which is awesome. I love it. I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. I'm,
2: I have a feeling we'll end up using uh, this venue for other things. Yeah? Yeah. I have I'll a like feeling it. we're going to dig it. Yes. Yeah, so. It's good to know. Yeah, what else, Jim? Yeah. Where else am I? Well, you're there.
1: You're also at the Icons of Wrestling in Philadelphia on April 22nd. It's a convention. You'll be signing autographs and yes, hanging that's out. that's right. And then the Cow Palace May 6th for APW, you're wrestling in a, t- in a tag match, right? That's right. Yes. And also No, on I'm that, not
2: in a tag match. I'm in the, uh, the in a a rumble. rumble. That's the second that's time I've done that.
1: I'm writing it on my notes right now yeah, so go. I don't screw that up again. Uh, also on that show will be Joey Ryan versus Cody Rhodes in a cage.
2: Pat Patterson, the legendary Pat Patterson. So going Pat's gonna to be, to be in there. the house. Really? Yeah.
1: Yes. They announced wow. that a little while ago.
2: Just hanging out,
1: signing autographs, know. scouting it, talent. He's got,
2: who knows? knows? No, he's a le- like. Come on, Pat Patterson's a legend in uh, the Bay Area.
0: Yeah, I, he can do any show that he wants up there. Yeah. I figure. So, all yeah. right. I'm excited about. I I wish I wasn't away and I could be here for for Get High Watch Wrestling. So you better do it again. Yes. Uh, if I, just she for me. Tell me what to do, Donica. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'll you get read the rolling. right act after the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, right,
1: on that note, I think we're done for episode 32 in the books. I'll oh, tell sure. you when we're
2: done. <laughs> <laughs>
0: is it? Is it?
3: Is uh, it? Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> no, hey, uh, thank you, guys.
2: Thank It'll you, you Sean. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, thanks to Adrian Street again. And uh, you can follow me at The Real X Puck on Twitter at Real X-Pac on Instagram and uh, we'll see y'all next week right here on Xpock 12360
0: from executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, Kevin Undergaro, show producer Jimbo Frank, managing editor of Afterbuzz Wrestling Christy Olsen, and managing producer of Afterbuzz Wrestling Mark Bidonica and the entire Xpoc 12360 staff. We would like to thank you for tuning in. Feel free to like us on Facebook, rate and comment on iTunes and YouTube. Follow Xpoc on Twitter at The Real and email us at xpoc 12360 show at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the Afterbuzz TV Network. Buzz you later.